said this last hour too, it's so nice to hear a response. <laughs> you have a couple months of, and all of God's people said, crickets. And you're just hoping you hear something somewhere else. So we're grateful for those of you who are here in the building, and obviously those of you who are joining us online, we're grateful that we can be the church and that being in a room together doesn't decide whether we are or we aren't. This is the place, as we've said, in a series we were recently in, that we are deployed to go live the mission. This is not the mission, just being together. As we are in this series about how to bless your neighbor, I want to take you to a particular man and a particular story His name is Danny Meyer. Danny is a fairly well-known internationally restauranteur. He's done quite a few elaborate restaurants and particularly in Manhattan. He's written a book called Setting the Table and stories he both has told directly, tells in the book, and people tell about these unique experiences, this unique environment that they've created in each restaurant. In one of the particular incidents, there was a moment when he was opening one of their major places in Manhattan And as they were opening it on that first day or that first weekend, a woman came in somewhat seeming distraught. She was late for a luncheon. She ran in. The host grabbed her, helped her to her place. And as she was going there, she became more distraught as she realized she had just left her purse in the taxi cab that had pulled away. She's now sitting in misery and confusion. And the host immediately reassures her, listen, you don't need to worry about it. Tell me your name again. Tell me your phone number, your cell number. And I want you to sit down and just enjoy lunch. We're not even worried about whether you can pay for it. Just go and enjoy it and let us worry about it. The host immediately returned back to that station, asked another of the staff to begin to call that cell number and said, you just keep calling it till you get an answer. That other host would call for almost 30 minutes and finally, whether the taxi cab was finally empty, the driver had a break, they heard the phone ringing, went to the purse, opened it, answered it. And on the other end, with this host, they began to discuss where they were. They were north of the Bronx at a place that was far away. The host encouraged them, would you at least meet me halfway? They set a location. The host promised to pay for that taxi cab's fare to get there. The host went there, met him halfway between the two, got the purse, brought it back. And even before the woman finished lunch, she had her stuff returned to her. Now, come on. Have you ever been to a restaurant like that? Isn't that amazing? I mean, I want to go out to eat just to leave something so I can find out what happens. And it's an amazing place. And this is the posture that Danny creates in all of their environments. It's not simply one moment. They pay attention to everything that goes on. They know which seats people choose, which food they prefer, which drinks they prefer. They learn things about their family and they write it all down so that they experience an unbelievable hospitality. Tell me that wouldn't be a place we'd all know about and want to go. Now the crazy part is that's simply for an eating experience. You and I, our mission, we have a mission to change the world. We say this, that we're to be radically loving and growing together in Christ. It simply and beautifully means that we don't just experience this radical love, which is even better than getting a purse brought back or a wallet brought back and a free lunch, to the God of the universe, loving and caring and just cherishing us. And we're called to do the very same thing. Tell me there's not a world in need that's longing for people 
that will be radically loving, that wouldn't do something as simple as calling a taxi cab driver and making sure it all works out to bring something back to us, to spending the time to get to know who the people are around us. And very simply, that's what we're in in this series. We've called it How to Bless Your Neighbor. In a sense, we understand all the way from the beginning of Israel's history that God blessed Abram in order to them to be a blessing to the entire world. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled that and then says to us, his people, I want you to do the same. Reach out to the world around you with my radical, radical love. And all we're trying to do in this series is put some handles on this. What's it look like for you and me to live in a missional way? And it's crazy because as much as it's difficult that you know, we feel the space when we're in the room because a lot of people aren't here, a lot are online. We feel it at home because we're not ready to be together. But we can miss it if we think being together in a room is the mission of the church. And so it's a perfectly timed series that we didn't plan it this way for us to be reminded that God wants to use us to change the world. We've used this picture over and over again that we're not a cruise ship we bring people to to hang out on each deck. We're a aircraft carrier that deploys people into the missional world they're called to be Jesus' hands and feet, to bring radical love to those in need, to be better than even a great restaurant. Now you'll see why we get to restaurants in just a minute. We're going to recap a little bit of you of where we've been. If you haven't been here, that's okay. This is where we've been in the series, How to Bless Your Neighbor. We introduced it in the first week. And then these are five practices, and we've gone through two of them. The first one, uh, we had three different of our teaching team taught it at each campus, so Nate was here. We talked about the idea that you begin with prayer. And what we mean by that is as you reach out, it always starts with us praying for the people around us. In fact, if you haven't been here, we want to remind you, we do this every day, even in our quiet when we're together, we have a little card we call a Frank List. And it's online. If you go to allshores.org slash bless, you'll see the resources there. One of them is a Frank list. I actually have mine in my phone. And what we do is we ask you each day. Frank just stands these five letters. It's praying for your friends, your relatives, your acquaintances, your neighbors, and your colleagues. And we're simply asking you to begin to make a list of the people in your life, the sphere you have in those areas that you can begin to pray for. Now, what we talked about, and Nate did so beautifully here, was this idea that when we pray, God moves. God's kingdom moves. There's always two sides to this. At the same time, when we pray, something shifts in us. In other words, the very act of praying changes our posture. Crazy, God calls us to reach out with his radical love. We pray for people in it, and somewhere along the way, God blesses and changes us. Isn't that cool? We bring the kingdom, we're changed. We bring the kingdom, we're changed. Very same principle applies to listening. Evan talked about this last week. We said, and we know this because these five practices are something that the church around America and around the world is learning, these wonderful practices to reaching out to neighbors, is that it's hardest for us to listen. Any idea why it's hard to listen? You're not listening to me, are you, right now? You're not paying attention? I don't know. Here's why, I'll at least share it confessionally for me. I love to listen so I can respond. That's a great story about you. Let me tell you a better one about me. That's a great thing about you. My life's a little more interesting. You hear the problem here, I hope. It's hard for us to learn to listen so that we actually know the person. 
Now there's one side of this where the kingdom is advanced. Guess what? When we begin to listen to know, people actually experience love and care. They can't believe we want to know. Now that's one side of it, remember? But guess what happens in us? We actually begin to love people more when we know them better. Isn't that crazy? I focus on you, you experience love, and guess what? My heart changes. We bring the kingdom, but the kingdom changes us. I want you to see this. This will be true in all the practices. I just don't want to miss it. Now, we're going to my favorite practice of all of them today. Come on. We get to eat together. How how many of us like to eat? I mean, this is my wheelhouse. I'm going to bring the kingdom. I'm going to share a meal. I'm going to bring the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that crazy? It should be crazy to us. and, And I'll start right here. I know some of you say, I do not have time. How many times do you eat a day? Go ahead, shout out. How many times do you eat a day? How many meals? A lot. Some say two. I had people say three. That would be the, I had somebody say five earlier. I was impressed. I don't know what that means. Perhaps they have smaller meals. Perhaps they're doing something else, you know. Here's the crazy part. You don't have to spend extra time. Did you know you can just eat with someone? And make no mistake, you eat. So please, before we even get started, do not shut down the idea that I don't have time to do this. Because you do. And before we get into all that it means, and we're going to look at this biblically, it has scriptural picture. It's not just like I'm going, hey, eating. We'll just kind of throw that in there, something to do. There's a picture of why this matters and the pattern of it very much. But I just want to tell you this too. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, boy, I can't cook well. I don't know what to do. I am the DoorDash king. I can cook like no one else as long as the restaurant you like is open. Isn't that crazy? And you know what? We can't gather in huge groups together, but even in outdoor settings and other settings, you can still gather for a meal at other places. You realize that this isn't inhibiting our mission at all. These are actual helps to us to be deployed, which is what matters most. All right, we're going to look into this together then, what it means to eat together, how this is a blessing for your neighbor. And we're going to look at this experience from Jesus with Matthew. So we're going to begin just in the first part of this text. Jesus goes on from here. It's kind of describing his early ministry. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Two words. Now this is profound what happens here before we even get into what's going on. First of all, Matthew is a tax collector, and in that time, tax collectors were deeply tied to Rome. They extorted money for their own benefit. They took advantage of the poor and oppressed and stole from them, basically. Jesus is going to a mess, and what does he say? Two words, follow me. That's amazing, and it's scandalous already. Do you realize Jesus calls people that are messed up, and he doesn't fix them, he invites them. Now, one of the great things I know is most of us are messed up. I know many of you. You know me. I'm messed up. What a great thing that Jesus says two words, follow me. And he doesn't say them as some big construct. We get this wrong conclusion. What's the church? Two words, follow me. You know what you and I do? We follow Jesus. We walk in his footsteps. That's the very call of a rabbi for his disciples to follow him, not just to go where he goes, but to become like he becomes, to be a student of his character, of his way, of his teaching. You and I are invited to follow him. You know, we're called to be radically loving and growing together in Christ, and it will never happen 
when we make Jesus one of our many portfolio pieces. He does this for me, and that goes this way, and he's a good part. But Jesus doesn't say, include me in your life. He says, follow me. So before we get anywhere else to what it means that we're going to do and reach out to others, we hear the call, follow me. And make no mistake, this was not for a few of his chosen friends. After he rises, he tells them, now you go and do the same thing I've done with you. You make disciples of the whole nations. You go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Guess what all of them do? Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Now in that, we want to look at what happens here. As he invites Matthew, he and a group got up and followed him. While Jesus was at dinner at Matthew's house, all these tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, what are they doing? They're eating together. Now, you might look and go, oh, that's a nice grab on the text. I mean, all he's saying is they're eating together. What's the big deal? They could have been, you know, taking a walk or doing something else. Let, let me give you a picture here that sees the significance of all of this. This is where Jesus invites and calls Matthew, but when Jesus does lots of things throughout his life on the earth around a meal. Do you know his first miracle in John's account happens at a wedding feast? Jesus does the first miracle eating. Come on. You guys should just be getting hungry right now just thinking about it. We have here where he calls a disciple. Do you know this goes on and on and on? Jesus, in his most significant teaching we have in all the gospel accounts, has 5,000 people around him, and guess what he does as they're all sitting around and don't know what to do? He takes five little fish and a couple of things of bread, blesses them, and they feed 5,000 people. They eat. Come on. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Well, you know, I got to tell you, at nine, they were more awake. I don't know if they had had more espresso, but here at 11, like, you guys are just mellow today. I know the home group's looking, going, well, I'm, I'm cranking, I'm good. But, hello, this thing on? I want to remind you, this is awesome stuff. This isn't even where it ends. Jesus, on the night he's going to be betrayed, on all the mess of the most significant night, he's got to talk to his disciples. He gathers them for a Passover meal. Wow. Do you know that after Jesus rises, in John's account, he goes to the shore and he recalls Peter and he feeds him a meal and invites him to a new place and a new way to live. Do you know he's walking with a bunch of some people that don't recognize him and guess when they recognize him? When he sits down at the table and breaks bread for a meal. Do you know at the end of time when Jesus returns, guess what he's going to have all of us do together? If you haven't figured it out, I, it should be there. What do you think we're going to do together? Eat. Thank you for your incredible enthusiasm about food right now. I mean, I want you to get a picture of this, that there's something significant in coming together for a meal. And this is true in the Jewish culture. The very culture Jesus grew up in understood very simplistically that when you ate together, it was an image of being in right relationship. It was an image of connecting. There was something spiritual about coming together for a physical activity of eating a meal. Now, if you don't even think about it this way, we know just from correlative research, guess what hugely affects kids growing up? The more kids have meals with their families in their home, the more likely they're to perform better in school, to be much less likely to have drug issues and other kinds of criminal issues and other kinds of disparity issues. It builds this core safety around them because something happens when we come together. 
And Jesus is modeling for us. He's taking someone that others would think are a mess and he's going, guess what? You come together and you eat with them. I don't know if you realize this, but he was, he was criticized regularly for eating with people that weren't these wonderful religious people. In fact, this is where it continues. The religious people see this and guess what they say? Hey, they ask the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, Jesus has chosen a bad crew to hang with. And they respond, Jesus does, is it not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick? It's a crazy thing. I don't think you and I realize how important it is that we reach out to people not like us and invite them into our lives. That Jesus modeled and lived this way of coming together and reaching out to their neighbors, his neighbors, and eating with them, particularly those who are wandering and far from him. It makes me think that I can picture that Jesus, as he looks out to them, sees in them. He looks at them and he sees the very core of how he actually made them to be in their brokenness. He doesn't look and think, you need to fix that. He looks and thinks, oh, I want you to be restored to who I made you to be. I can see in you the way I made you and what I have for you. He sees something in people that the religious around don't because he moves towards them for a meal. Do you know Jesus even made it more significant? In Luke's account, he makes this statement about when you have people over, and by the reason he says when because of this. Israel had a value of hospitality and eating this way. In Leviticus, it says very simply, because you were slaves, because you lived as foreigners, always entertain strangers and the poor and the far from you. The far from me, really. Because Israel was to understand the same way God reached out to them, they're always to reach out to others. They actually had a practice where they would put a napkin out, this beautiful little towel out on their front door, as a means that anyone who came into town that didn't have enough could come to their home and be in. And Jesus says, you know what, when you have people over, don't have the rich, don't have the ones that can pay you back. You have the poor and the lame and the crippled and those you don't view well because those are the ones I'm calling you to love, to look out like I do differently. I love this, Alan Hirsch, who's a wonderful missiologist, along with Lance Ford, write about this in one of their books about how we're to live. They say that sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally, I love this, we can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. Come on. I'm good at eating. I can do this. You, you realize the power of this? I love that he calls it missional hospitality. Danny Meyer does a great thing to create a wonderful business that creates hospitality. It is not missional we get to display the radical love of Jesus just by inviting people into this. You wanna understand what I hope you get today? It's simply this, share a meal, bring the kingdom. Share a meal, bring the kingdom. Share a meal, bring the kingdom. It's so weird when I say that, all I can think of is the Grinch. And you wanna know why? 
because the mayor in the Grinch says, invite the Grinch, destroy Christmas. Invite the Grinch, destroy Christmas. Horrible thing to say, but it's the same meter. So I hear it again. Share a meal, bring the kingdom. Share a meal, bring the kingdom. Do you have any idea that you are called to do simple things that change the world? I pictured this woman being so grateful that someone bothered to care and get her purse back to her and have a great experience. What happens when you reach out and invite someone to your life to share a meal that is broken and aching and struggling? Do you have any idea the power of that? Of someone else feeling special and cared for and engaged in because you understood missional hospitality. Man, share a meal, bring the kingdom. Share a meal, bring the kingdom. We can do this. I would literally like to change the world by eating. It actually hits my wheelhouse. I just think it's awesome. Jesus finishes it this way as he's been speaking to these Pharisees. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Make no mistake, Jesus is not looking at the Pharisees thinking you are better than these other people. He's looking at them thinking you think you are better. But you don't really see your own brokenness. And what Jesus sees when he looks out at the people who are broken is honest struggle instead of a pretend religiosity. He says, I'm here to meet people in their need, to be merciful, to see them as they are. It's crazy, you know, the more I spend time with my friends who are not Christians, I discover all sorts of things. I really believe I begin to see in them what Jesus does. I have one friend I've gotten together with, and as we've talked more, I've realized this poor guy has really been hurt because he's experienced the church in a very negative way. But he's very discerning, and I think he actually discerns people's character and the heart of people more. And I go, God loves that in him and has this compassionate heart I'm discovering who he powerfully is just by hanging out. It's right there. I just didn't see it. But man, when I look at them through the lens of Jesus, when I look at them and get to know them, when I begin to ask questions and discover them, crazily, I don't just reach out. My heart turns because I see people differently. So, some of you may be here and you may think, you know what? There's no way. I don't know what to do when I'm out with people. I don't know how to carry on a conversation. Here's the beauty of it. Did you know you don't have to? All you have to do is learn to ask questions. You know, I ask people about what their jobs are. I ask them where they grow up. I ask them if they're married to tell a bit of their journey into marriage. If they're going through some difficulty, I ask about that. I simply ask questions and discover, and it is not hard to ask questions about people's lives. And guess what? People want to tell you their story. They don't really need you to ask a question so you can connect it to your own story. Oh, that reminds me of me. Well, we should talk about me again. You know, the other thing I found out is when I ask questions, I actually finish eating quicker too. I somehow just managed to snarf it all down while they're talking. So I'm well fed at the same time. It's not it's a side benefit, not anything you should have, but I'm telling you, you can do this. And the beautiful thing is you share a meal, you advance the kingdom, you bring it, but you also turn your own heart for people. Something shifts in us. And that's what Jesus, I think, was telling us. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners, I want mercy, not sacrifice. When you move towards people, your heart changes because you start to see them differently. 
I'm telling you, we can do this. It's a simple idea. Share a meal, bring the kingdom. Share a meal, bring the kingdom. Danny Meyer gives his life to creating great experiences in a restaurant. And I believe the people care and enjoy what they do. You and I, though, we've experienced the God of the universe coming and forgiving us and offering new life by the very power of his spirit, by his death and resurrection, freeing us from sin and saying, guess what? Go, I'm sending you out, follow me. Where I go, I go to the places that people who don't walk religiously are. I go and have meals with people that many others would say, why? I invite people into my life that can never repay it, that are different than me. Man, share a meal, bring the kingdom. You know, I, I've looked at this time that we're in. It's a crazy, confusing time we're in. And, and many things are being confused because we can't gather the way we're familiar with. And in some ways, while it's difficult, I think it's better for us. Because we have no illusion that coming together into a room is what will change the world. Coming together is how we refuel to be sent. We follow Jesus out there, not just into here. We are never meant to be a cruise ship. We're an aircraft carrier deployed. Maybe you can't gather together here, but guess what? You can have a friend over. Guess what? You can have a meal out. Guess what? You can sit outside and share a meal and bring the kingdom. And make no mistake, I think we're even struggling inside churches, and I don't just mean ours. I was with two different groups of pastors this week, and none of us have ever seen a time of such argument and hostility even within the church. And this is what I'm convinced of. I don't know that I can convince anyone to change, but I think if we move out missionally, these things get different. <laughs> Even the disagreements are different because guess what? When you and I move out and we start to love people, something changes in us. And even these other things look different. And share a meal, bring the kingdom. Follow me. That's what Jesus says, follow me. Oh, I'm out with people that are far from the religious way I think they should be. I'm out with people that you and I would never think to be with. Follow me. Share a meal, bring the kingdom. Let me pray for you and for me too. God, I am asking that you would move in us. It would not be something we're taught and say it's a nice idea, but it's a nice idea maybe later. It's a nice idea, but your Holy Spirit would be igniting us to actually move towards other people. God, we want sacred times around a table together. We want to have our hearts turned as we listen, pray for, and reach out to friends and family and acquaintances and neighbors and colleagues that just don't know you. God, we want to discover and follow you into places where people can't reciprocate and they're different than us. God, would you help us to actually be radically loving and to follow you by sharing meals and bringing your kingdom. I ask this in your holy name, amen.